Are y'all glad to be here this morning? Let's give God a hand if he truly is good. <clears throat> I, was, uh, I was tempted to do that after the end of that song. I'm like, yes, God, you're good and you're, you're worthy. And I didn't want to mess up the flow of what was going on. So I uh, thought I'd just let you share uh, that with me. I want to do something different this morning. Psalm 103, I was reading this in my office this week and I can almost hear David saying this. We're not preaching on this text today, but I just want you to hear it. Um, in this theme of Thanksgiving, this season of Thanksgiving, David writes this psalm and he's speaking to himself, to his, his own soul. It's almost like he's encouraging himself to remember the goodness of God and, and to bless the Lord, oh my soul, to praise God for what God has done. And um, knowing David, uh, David, when he did it, he did it with all of his might. So you can just imagine this was not just some lethargic thing that he wrote, this hymn, um, but this was something he was very passionate about. Psalm 103, one says, let all that I am or bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. He says, let all that I am praise the Lord with a whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am, again, praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me, amen? He forgives all my sins and heals my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for our sins or all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the highest of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we're only dust. Amen. Would you do me a favor? Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we could go on and on and on just about all the many reasons we should be thankful today. And so I pray that you would just stir that up in us, stir it up in our hearts. Lord, not just in this service today, but throughout the week as we prepare for Thanksgiving, as we are bombarded with culture and this just this temptation to, to focus on everything else but thanksgiving and gratitude. I pray that today you would draw our hearts close to this idea of, of a grateful heart and that you'd be honored and glorified in our lives because you truly are worthy of all of our praise and all of our worship. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, it's that time of the year. Um, it's a time of thanksgiving. Now, normally, I would reserve this message for next week because it's the Thanksgiving weekend, but I was convicted about that and I thought, you know, we, we, we have one day on the calendar, uh, Thanksgiving, we have one service usually that we focus on that, but I'm convinced that it's something that we need to hear more often than just one time a year, amen? And so with that being said, I, we got a two-week series called A Grateful Heart, just simply A Grateful Heart, and I want to focus today and then next week um, what it actually looks like, but today I want to speak specifically of the danger of ingratitude. We're living in a culture today. If you have somewhere you want to turn, I'm going to be kind of all over the place. I apologize in advance, but um, I will eventually get to Numbers 14. So if you're one of those guys that needs a place in your Bible to hold and get ready to follow along, uh, go to Numbers 14 and I'll catch up to you directly, like my grandma used to say, directly. I believe this theme of Thanksgiving is neglected by our culture today. All you have to do is 
It's just open your eyes. When you go to a store, you see the consumerism, you see Christmas. In fact, yesterday I told Rachel, I said, Rachel, um, I want to go to Walmart. Why? It's Saturday. I just, I want to go and take some pictures because my hope is that we can find some material, some things there that they're producing that's Thanksgiving-esque. And uh, here, here's what I found. Um, I found this section for cards, give thanks. I'm like, that's a great start. Give thanks. I like seeing that. And then I turned and I found an end cap and then a little aisle there that had a bunch of, so if you need some Thanksgiving plates for your meal next week, they got a ton of them, go wipe them out, right? And I saw another little end cap of, of clearance. So this is a 99 cent. You can get some napkins, cups, and table covers and, and all things Thanksgiving, but that was pretty much it. I used to get mad at stores for this. I used to get angry and think, you know, it's just a, the world we live in. They just want to skip Thanksgiving. They want to skip God and just leave him out and go straight to Christmas. And I realized it's not really their fault. It's ours. Because we're the ones shopping or not shopping. And it's just wise business sense, right, to give what the people want and what they need. So what I had hoped yesterday that I would find would be a few plaques and things that said give thanks or, you know, be thankful or Thanksgiving, be bl- whatever. I was hoping to find something like that. And I could tell you as a church, do me a favor, go to Walmart and wipe them out. <laughs> It'd be so cool, wouldn't it? To send a message like, hey, we're interested in Thanksgiving stuff too. And I just was hopeful. So here's what I'm going to say. If you need plates, please, by all means, um, go uh, wipe them out. We bought a bunch yesterday um, for our Thanksgiving meal. But the point is the culture we're in is quick to pass over Thanksgiving. We go from a a season of fear, Halloween, right? Goblins and ghosts and all that stuff, a season of fear to a season of joy where we celebrate the incarnation of Christ. And if you just think about that for a moment, metaphorically in our lives, we all go through seasons of fear in our life. When times, when, when they're not good, when it's a little scary, when things are a little shaky, we go through those seasons of fear and we all look for the hope that's in Christ and we all anticipate what Christmas is all about. But I believe there's something very important missing between those two and that's an attitude of gratitude. Because I believe gratitude gives us the proper perspective. We're coming out of a season of fear to say, God, thank you for protecting me. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for just having my back when I was going through a negative situation. How many know we're supposed to be thankful for what God has done? And it also conditions us to look forward to the hope that is in Christ, that we say, Lord, the season of uh, of Christmas is coming, the season of of joy, and I can look with a full joy because I know that you are faithful there, you'll be faithful over here as well, and I look forward to what you've got planned for my life. I don't believe you can go from one to the other in a healthy way without this opportunity for us to just have an attitude of gratitude. And and so um, I'll give you a little story I I read. It's... um, Two buddies were walking through a field, and as they were walking through a field, um, they noticed that there was a bull uh, over in the distance, and he was an angry bull, and he began to chase after them. And as the bull began to chase after them, they're like, uh-oh, we realize we've got to head to the, cl- the closest fence to get away from the bull. And so as they're running, uh, they're running as hard as they can, and they realize they're not going to make it. The bull's closing ground, and so one of the buddies looks back at the other buddy, and he says, pray. And his other buddy says, well, I'm not used to praying in front of people. I mean, I don't do that much. And he says, dude, you got to. You got to pray. So his buddy says, well, the only prayer I know is the one I learned as a kid that my dad used to pray at the dinner table. And so running for their life, he said, Lord, for that which we are about to receive, make us truly thankful. (laughs) The point is, Some people pray when they're in trouble. Even fewer pray a prayer of thanksgiving. 
just to take an opportunity to say, God, we are truly thankful for what you're doing in our life. We're truly thankful for who you are, for your blessings, for your abundant blessings. If you consider where we're at compared to other third world countries, we are blessed. It's important for us to understand how important gratitude is. There's a danger in ingratitude. You say, what's the big deal? Is it, is it really that big of a deal? Why is something like thankfulness <clears throat> important? Well, here's the definition for grateful is warmly or deeply appreciative of kindness or benefits received. I mean, you're just showing kindness or you're deeply appreciative of benefits received. So ingratitude would be forgetfulness of or poor return for kindness received. If you've ever done something nice for someone and they're like, and they just keep walking on, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, man, just ungrateful little brat or whatever it is, you know, and we understand that, but when you consider what God has done for us and it's so abundant and we're so abundantly blessed, we need to understand the importance of gratitude. And so here's what I think. Ingratitude or an ungrateful heart is fertile soil for sin to grow. Let me say that again. Ingratitude or an ungrateful heart is fertile soil for sin to grow in. And here's why. When we're ungrateful, we're not recognizing the blessings that God is bringing in our life and what he's doing for us, his providing, protecting, blessing, loving us. Then we start to doubt, is God really good? Oh, we would never admit this. Oh, and I'm a grateful person. No, no, but really, as life goes on, we find ourselves complaining. We find ourselves negative about what's going on in our life and why does somebody else have it better than we do? And we start to kind of question God, do you really truly care about me? Do you love me? And, and, and we got to be careful with that because when it takes our focus off of the goodness of God, then I believe we're playing dangerously um, when it comes to this thing called sin. Here's why. Because um, one of the passages of Scripture, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, be thankful in all circumstances. So say all. So it said, be thankful in all circumstances. And here's why. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So if you belong to Christ Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I can tell you with 100% accuracy, the will of God is for you and I to be thankful in all circumstances. And so the Bible says to him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so, um, as I said, an, an ungrateful heart or ingratitude is fertile soil for sin to creep in. And so here's an example. I had you turn to Numbers 14. Um, Consider for a second the children of Israel. The children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt for 400, was it 30 years? 430 years, somewhere in there? Slaves in Egypt. Started off kind of not so bad, but it got really brutal there towards the end. And you know the story, we love it. It's a picture of Christ. He sends Moses as the great deliverer. And he says that I, I've heard the cries of my people and I'm gonna send Moses and Moses is gonna go before Pharaoh. He's gonna be like God to Pharaoh and to the people. He's gonna lead them and I'm gonna bring them out of that slavery. I'm gonna bring them out of that bondage and I'm gonna deliver them to a land that's gonna blow their socks off. It's gonna be so awesome. It's a land flowing with milk and honey and I'm going to bless my people. And so the, the, the very first crack of the bat, you know, um, they're, they're leaving, uh, it's the Passover and they're leaving Egypt. They're walking away from slavery and they get up to uh, the Red Sea and, and they're, they're in a predicament because now the army, Egyptians' army are closing in on them, Pharaoh's army. 
and their backs are against the sea, and they're like, oh no, it's over for us. What are we going to do? And then God directed Moses to hold his staff above the sea. And we know the story, the, the waters part. How many, if you were in the, the, in the crowd, that they would go, cool, right? And some scholars believe it was around 2 million total children of Israel walked across the sea on dry ground. And you just see the walls of water standing up, and he delivered them miraculously, right? They're safely on the other side. The armies give pursuit. They get in the middle of the sea, and God lets the waters cave on them, and they all perish as a result. Now, if I'm on the other side, having just walked through and having been saved and delivered by the great deliverer, and I see what happened to the enemies that were pursuing me, I'm like, God's cool. And they had this big song dance. I mean, they did a big celebration, but I'm like, God, you're so awesome. What happens? Well, they have to take a journey from where they're at to go to the promised land that God had promised to them. And when they got to the border of that promised land, I think they took a vote and some people said, hey, let's go scout it out and check on what what is lying ahead of us. And you can read that in chapter 13 if you want to. It says for 40 days, they scouted the land. For 40 days, they walked around looking at all that the land had to offer. And they said, yes, indeed, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. But listen, there's there's some giants in that land. And we look like grasshoppers in their sight, and we're scared. And we don't want to do it. And there were two guys in the crowd that day that said, no, 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 God's been with us. We can totally take this land. Just be obedient. God will bless us. In chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Then the whole community began weeping aloud. And they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron, the one that God had sent to deliver them from slavery. It says, if only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Remember, they, the, the warriors that were after them were, were killed in the sea. It should have been a great example of what God was capable of. He says, our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better? Can you just hear the, the ignorance in this statement? Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Let's go back to slavery. Let's go back to brutal slavery. It just doesn't make sense, does it? God has shown himself faithful. God has proven to be the mighty deliverer. And here they start to murmur and they start to complain and they start to question whether or not God is able to do what he promised that he would do. Does that sound familiar? Do we always sometimes get caught up into that same little trap? I think we do. Caleb and Joshua, they speak up and they said, don't rebel against the Lord, verse nine, and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They're only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. He's like, hey, we don't like what you're saying and and we're gonna kill you for it. It says, then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites of the tabernacle and the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? The Lord, how long will these people, the people that I, I love, the people that I rescued, the people that I've provided for, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me? even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them. 
I will disown them and destroy them with a plague. Then I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they are. And then Moses intercedes, which I'm so glad Moses intercedes. Oh God, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Verse 20 says, then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested, but as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people ever enter the land. They, they have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in uh, the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He's remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of the land. Now, turn around and don't go on toward the land where the Amalekites and the Canaanites live. Tomorrow you, will, you must set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. He's just about to put them in a major timeout. This spirit of ingratitude, this spirit of unbelief. And he says, how long will they hold me in contempt? Now, guess what? Turn around and go back towards the Red Sea for 40 years. Say 40. 40 years they wandered in the desert because of their disobedience. Tell me an attitude of ingratitude is not powerful. I think there's some pretty serious consequences to that, don't you? But even in that, God's faithful. He provides promises. The sandals never wore out. They always had food to eat, they had manna, they had quail, there was always water. But if you follow the story, you'll see many times they're just murmuring, they're complaining, they're complaining, they're murmuring, they're ungrateful people. Ungrateful heart is fertile soil for sin to grow. What about in our world today? In our world, you know, we see the effects of it and we see ingratitude. In fact, you see um, the more that we have, the more we want. The more we have, the less thankful we are. The more we have, the more we realize that we, we don't have. You say, Shane, that's, that's not me, but I think by and large, it, it exposes this big American dream that we're in. We're just an ungrateful people. And yet when you compare what we've got, as I said a while ago, to what so many others don't have, we should be extremely grateful for God's provision in our life, amen? 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, Paul's talking to Timothy. He says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. So, so he lists in this um, what, what is to be expected in the, the last times, and he puts in there, uh, an ingratitude. He says they will be ungrateful. He says they will consider nothing sacred. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. And he says, Timothy, stay away from people like that. You see his example in the Old Testament. You see that today um, in our culture the, the danger of ingratitude, if it's God's will for us to be thankful and we're not thankful for us to know to do good and not do it to us, it is sin. And so there is a sin of ingratitude. I wonder if we're guilty sometimes. I am. I can fall into that pit. In fact, I was sharing with a few friends this last week it was a tough, tough week for me. I can't put my finger on what it was. 
It was a culmination of a bunch of stuff, but I was in a funk. I was in a deep pit. And I know what to do. I mean, I know, I mean, I'm preaching it, man. I get my Bible out and I'm going and I'm pursuing God and I'm praying and I'm reading and it feels like the words just just blurry. And like I said, I think last week the prayers hitting the ceiling or a couple weeks ago, it, it just felt like that. And I was like, God, there's, there's something going on. Is it me? Is it sin? Is it what is going on? And so I get it, I understand. And I started realizing, you know, my attitude in all of that and how I just need to, whether I feel like it or not, display gratitude and say, God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your tenderness, your mercy, for your compassion, for your provision. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you that you're no respecter of persons. Thank you for the gospel and the fact that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord and that whosoever is me, thank you that the gospel applies to me. God, thank you. I began to say thank you. I began to look at Psalm 103, forget not his benefits. And it's amazing what happens when we start focusing our thoughts on that because it begins to lift us up. It begins to strengthen and encouraging. And as God is just so sovereign, whether it's a phone call or whether it's a text message or whether it's a testimony of a, of a dear friend, um, the word spoken just broke me. I was like, God, you're so good. You're so good. You're so worthy of praise. You're so worthy of our honor and worship. He's so good. We... Some people only pray when they're in trouble. Even fewer pray just a prayer of thanksgiving. This ingratitude or this ungrateful heart is, is very serious. It's dangerous. The source of it, if you care to dig, and we're running out of time, but uh, if you just go to Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, you see uh, the source of this attitude comes from Lucifer. And it's just on what Ezekiel 28 says, um, you were molded in perfection or of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone. In verse 14, he says, I ordained and anointed you as the most angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and, and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from the place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all of your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love and splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. Isaiah 14, verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven. O shining star, son of the morning, you've been thrown down to the earth, you, you who destroyed the nations of the world, for you said to yourself, I will. I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will, I will preside on the mountains of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and I will be like the most high. You wanna see where the source of that attitude of ingratitude comes from? Look no further than Satan himself. He wasn't content with being the most beautiful, angelic cherub, the most powerful, the one that was blessed. He was not content with that. He wasn't grateful for that. Instead, he wanted to one-up God. He said, you know what? I want to be like God. I want to set my throne above his. And listen, Ephesians 2.2 says that he's the prince on the power of the air. 
So he controls kind of like that, the unseen. And, and it just makes total sense to me that Satan, the prince and the power of the air, would broadcast that attitude to a people on this earth. You know what? <laughs> He's an ungrateful being and he would love nothing more than to us to just miss this beautiful thing called gratitude, this powerful thing called gratitude and to develop in us a negative ungrateful attitude of ingratitude. Are you following me so far? Psalm 92 says, it is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It's good to sing praises. It's good to give thanks. Psalm 104 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, go into his courts with praise, give thanks to him and praise his name. Colossians 3.15, and, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always, always, say always, always be thankful. He, he's calling us to have this attitude of gratitude, a grateful heart. Do you have a grateful heart this morning? Do you recognize? Do you know that in the Old Testament, um, Leviticus God spoke through Moses, he's given the law, and he gave them several different uh, religious ceremonies that they were to observe for years and years and years, all generations. And one particular one was the, the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. Um, I think they call it in, in Sukkot, um, in, uh, or Sukkot, yeah, something like that in the Hebrew, and, and still observe it to this day. They went through a season where they did not do it, but here's what it was. It was a seven-day celebration to commemorate when God had brought them out of Egypt and he provided for them for 40 years in the desert. They lived in tents, temporary dwelling places. Less than cool as a, as a permanent dwelling place and they would live in a tent there. And so he said, now for the rest of our lives, the generation, each generation, I want you to commemorate this. And once a year on a set date, I want you to spend the next seven days living back in a tent, living back in a shelter in a, in a booth, and because what that's gonna do is it's gonna center you. And that's gonna get your perspective in line, and, and you're gonna realize, you know what, I'm reminded of what my grandpa told me or my great ancestors told me about God's faithfulness to provide in Egypt and through the desert. He is faithful and he provides. And as we're in the booth, maybe looking at our house going, wow, we truly are blessed. God is faithful, God is good. How many know that'd be a good thing for us to observe? It's just this, this perspective thing to go, you know what? And for us, it's Thanksgiving. It's this time of the year where we say, hey, let's take a moment. Let's not focus um, on the consumerism, the commercialism of Christmas, but let's take a moment and let's pause and let's just simply say, God, thank you. Thank you, because when we do that, it's healthy. In fact, a grateful heart is a healthy heart. Healthy towards God, because it realizes it's in his will. God, thank you for everything in all circumstances. It's healthy towards other people. A grateful heart is a healthy heart. When you start to say thank you to people that just bless you in our culture, that's something that's going by the wayside, but just simply saying, hey, thank you. Hey, please. I open the door sometimes for some of the younger generation and they just walk by, they don't even look at me. They just kind of like, thank you, peasant. And they just keep walking. I want to trip them. Mm ungrateful brat, but we know what that's like, right? The grateful heart is a healthy heart in relation to God, in relation to others, and check this out, even physically speaking. Um, Robert Emmons, his PhD, psychology professor at the University of California, 
Um, he's the author of a book called Gratitude Works. This is a secular book, but listen to it. Emmons is one of the pioneers of research into the ways that gratitude affects our lives. To, uh, to assess people's levels of thankfulness, um, Emmons and his colleague, Michael McCullough, created a questionnaire that allowed them to compare grateful people to those who were less so. They also found ways to cultivate gratitude in test subjects, keeping a gratitude journal, counting one's blessings, sounds familiar? Writing letters of thanks, then studied the changes that occurred, um, that occurred as a result. The results of his studies and others, both psychological and physiological, are fascinating. He says, here are five reasons why giving thanks is actually good for you, healthy heart. Check it out. Counting blessings boosts your health. He says, Emmons and McCullough research showed that grateful people had less depression and stress, lower blood pressure, more energy, energy and greater optimism. If you've got high blood pressure today, let me just give you another, uh, let me write you a prescription, show gratitude. Count your blessings. It boosts your health. It says, slow down the aging clock. Looking at some of us in the room, I'm like, this is a cool deal, right? In older adults, it says they found that a daily practice of gratitude even slowed down some of the effects of neurodegeneration that often occurs as we age. Ooh, that sounds kind of cool. Put the brakes on stress. Cortisol is often called the stress hormone. And when our bodies produce too much, it can deplete the immune system and raise blood sugar levels. And study conducted at the Institute of Heart Math, uh, Heart Math Research Center in California found that positive emotions like appreciation significantly lowered levels of cortisol. Being thankful helps you bond. Research also said that the gratitude also can lead to better relationships. It says there's a, an oxytocin sometimes called the bonding hormone because it fosters calm and security in relationships. All this is gratefulness. And lastly, it says, it's good for the heart and the waistline. Hey, with Thanksgiving coming up, this might be a good one, right? People with high blood pressure who actively express thankfulness can achieve up to a 10% reduction in systolic blood pressure and decrease their dietary fat intake by up to 20%. This is a secular book, y'all. With benefits like these, maybe we should practice being thankful more than once a year. That's what he says. He's going to say, make a commitment to write down at least three things you're grateful for each day for 30 days. Make each one as specific as possible. There's value in the details. Emmons said, it will shift your reality. Amen. And we know that because the word tells us this, right? So, so a grateful heart is a healthy heart. Heart. Can I just ask you a question? Are you grateful this morning? I've been convicted this way. In fact, next year, hold me to it, um, remind me of it, but next year, um, after the fall festival's over, I want to do a little bit of decoration here, and I want the whole month of November to be a focus on Thanksgiving. Is that okay? I want the whole month. Right, let's just start a revolution up in here. Let's just start and go, you know what? We're not going to do it one time um, and, and once a year. We're going to do it through the month of, of November. We're going to just say, thank you, God. There's going to be a focus of thanksgiving in the house. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises to his name because he's worthy. <laughs> Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. The choice is yours. You can choose ingratitude. We know it's dangerous. It's unhealthy. Or we can choose to start 
You say, Shane, I'm, I'm in a hole too, and I don't know where to start. Let me just give you Psalm 103. Go, go read it slowly. Start with God. Check this out. It has nothing to do with, with our specific circumstances. Thank him for his love. God is love. For his patience. Some of you require a little extra dose of that every once in a while from God. He says, thank him for his patience. For his salvation. For his sovereignty. For his wisdom. For his mercy. Just start there. And it's the old song that we, re- we quote all the time. Count your blessings Name them one by one, and it will, be, it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And you'll develop and culture an attitude of gratitude in a season when we're supposed to be thankful. Amen? I want to close with a, a chorus that we used to sing all the time. Um, it was a very short chorus. We'd sing it over and over again, like the, the old joke about courses. They go on forever. But it's a very good um, and fitting way, I think, to close this out. So if you'll stand with me, I don't think the lyrics are on the screen. I forgot to put them up there, but I think we all know it by heart, but it's just simply called Thank You. It's a chorus, and I'll sing it, and if you remember it, just join right in, but let's just sing it a couple of times, and I'll close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich and free. Let's do it again. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich and free. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your attributes. Thank you for just who you are alone, just in who you are is worthy of all praise and honor and gratitude. But Father, if we'll just be honest in our own hearts and lives, we look with a different perspective and and all the things that we walk through and go through and we compare that to, say, a third world country. Lord, we are extremely blessed. And we have every reason today to be grateful Lord, we're stuck here in this culture that kind of breeds ingratitude. And I pray that you'll wake us up today. That you would reveal to us the danger of ingratitude. Lord, to know that it is completely contrary to your will for us who are in Christ Jesus. And that we would begin to cultivate uh, this this attitude of, of gratefulness, this attitude of gratitude, just this thanksgiving in our own lives and our own heart. And if it starts with just every morning waking up and saying, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for my family. Thank you for a roof over my head. Thank you for the car that I get to drive. Thank you that I didn't have to starve last night or give up my food so my kids could eat. Thank you, Father. You are so good to me. If we just start there. And as a result, Father, I pray that you would just embolden and strengthen us to see things from a different perspective and 
Lord, maybe turn the tide a little bit of this Thanksgiving season. We acknowledge that it's not the store's fault. Lord, it's ours. We're consumer-driven. Remind us of the importance of pausing and saying thank you. Lord, a prayer of thanksgiving, as, as David showed us in Psalm 103, I will bless the Lord with all that I am and forget not your benefits. God, would you please make that a reality in our lives? And Lord, we tend to be negative. I do. We can get critical. We can be pessimistic. I think the antidote is right in front of us, this attitude of gratitude. So Lord, would you please help us to embrace that and to avoid the sin of ingratitude. Ultimately, Lord, for your, your glory, would you please just move in our hearts and help us to have a different perspective as we approach Thanksgiving season. Or for some, it may be starting a new tradition around the table. I know we are at my house. For some, it may be just our approach um, with, with people, just getting more intentional at saying thank you to those that you've put in our lives and things that we take for granted. Lord, whatever that first step is for each of us, would you just give us the courage to take that step and to, to trust you? Because, Lord, we know when we're a grateful people, it just, I, think, I just think it makes you smile. And how you're, you're blessed when we do that. So in all circumstances, Lord, help us to be thankful, to have a grateful heart. We humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.